0: Hi, and thank you for tuning in to McDowell Mountain Community Church's podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you can be notified when we upload our latest message. We hope the message you hear today is encouraging to you as you navigate your week. Be blessed. My wife and I have, uh, it's called a love, so we have a playlist that we share and it's, the title of it is just love. And we share love songs back and forth on this playlist and sometimes our kids somehow get on our phone and add songs that shouldn't be on here, um, which is hilarious. This morning I was looking because I thought, oh, I can share a couple of these songs, and Gangnam Style was on here. And I'm like, <laughs> and so our youngest, Charlie, I'm sure added that to the list. But um, there's, songs, there's some on here that are inappropriate I can't share with you, but um, they're for my, my wife and I. Uh, your song, Elton John, is on here. You guys remember uh, your song? What a Wonderful World with Louis Armstrong. Uh, Heaven by Brian Adams is on here. Wonderful Tonight, Eric Clapton. Um, we've got Joy of My Life by Chris Stapleton. If you don't like Chris Stapledon, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. Um, but we're going to have prayer at the end of the service. Uh, <laughs> Al Green is on here. Johnny Swim, Take the World is on here. Smithfield is on here. Um, And then I, like Robin will add songs on here sometimes that I'm like, I I don't know about that song, like Justin Bieber is on here, and Michael Buble is on here, Ed Sheeran is on here, Uh, Lionel Richie, one of my favorite artists, is on here, he just has such a smooth voice, I just love it. So we have all these songs that we share back and forth, and then sometimes um, uh, there's surprise songs that show up. So did you pick a love song? Do you have one in your mind? So it's interesting when we start talking about love and marriage and all those kind of things, and uh, we, we all have different thoughts and emotions that come to the surface. Robin and I... Uh, have been married now for 25 years. Uh, We celebrated 25 years, yeah, this this year. And I'm gonna gonna keep telling you about it because it's awesome. 25 years in and people ask us, you know, like 25 years, what has that been like? The first year was so difficult. And it's interesting because a lot of times you think when you get married you have a honeymoon phase for the first year. We had a come to Jesus phase the first year. (laughs) And I don't know if any of you have experienced that, but because Robin and I were raised in very different um, homes and uh, under different ways of doing things, to bring those two things together under one roof brought with it a lot of tension. Um, I've told you before, she doesn't close cabinets or drawers, (laughs) and it took me a while to understand why that is, I still don't understand why that is. Um, I have a tendency to, when I'm passionate about something, uh, I'm not yelling, but my voice gets serious. And that for her took some time to get used to um, a voice that was elevated, not yelling, but serious, like passionate about certain things. And that first year was just a a tough year. It just was not easy. And in 25 years, I've learned that marriage is not easy. Can I get an amen from those who are married in the church? And the reality is, marriage is so much better than I ever imagined it to be. And it's so much harder than I ever imagined it to be. There is so much joy in marriage and there's also so much um, that God wants to do in us in the marriage relationship and so what I wanna do this morning I wanna talk about some um, some marriage goals but I wanna I wanna to get there I'm gonna take an interesting path we're gonna jump in the deep end for a couple minutes and talk about some theology and the theology is gonna be some deep theology And wherever you are, um, some of you are not married, you don't wanna ever be married, some of you are not married, you wanna be married, Um, some of you are married, some of you have been married, you don't wanna be married again, some of you have been married, you wanna be married again. There's all kinds of like, across the spectrum. And I think there's something for all of us to learn in the conversation. And uh, there's some words of Jesus and some moves that Jesus pushes us toward. And here's the deal. I, um, I know marriage brings up a lot of different thoughts and perspectives and emotions. I've told you, you know, freely that I come from a divorced home. And because of that, there was a lot of pain in my experience um, in my teenage years and uh, walking through that. I've talked to my parents about that. That's not a surprise to them um, Divorce is a challenging thing. Many of you have walked through divorce, and it's painful. And so because of that, because of our different perspectives, because of our different experiences, the conversation about marriage brings emotion. And I'm going to talk about a few things that you may disagree with. And there's some things that I'm going to share that you might have a different perspective on. And I want, I, one of the things I love about our church is how we can at times disagree, but be kind and loving and respectful to one another. It's one of the things I just love about this place. And so I'm going to talk about some theology, and um, hopefully it will spark some conversations in your, in your groups and in your family and in your lives. And then I'm going to talk about some goals of marriage that I think are really important based on that theology and then I'm gonna give you some scripture um, to maybe practice if you are married or even if you're dating. And, um, and then we'll wrap it up. How's that sound? Yeah, okay. Some of you are like, he's talking differently right now. He's serious. So um, I, wanna, I wanna jump in to some theology. And to do that, I wanna give you just a couple of resources uh, first and up front, so if you tune out during the deep theology part, um, these are a couple good resources to jump into. So Timothy Keller wrote uh, with his wife The Meaning of Marriage, which is a a deep dive into marriage, and so I'd encourage you maybe if you are married or if you're thinking about getting married, um, this is a good book to, to read and think through what is God doing in marriage and what's important for us. And then um, this podcast, which is about 46 minutes, it's, it's John Mark Comer and Tammy Comer, his wife, um, and he shares actually a similar story uh, with, with Tammy that, that I had with Robin, just two different cultures kind of colliding in that first year of marriage, and so he talks a little bit about that, and then he jumps into some, some deeper conversation. I would encourage you, um, either with your spouse if you're married, um, to listen to that podcast, or to listen to it separately and then have a good sit-down conversation about it. It's just a a really good one. And at the end of today, I'm going to give you one other um, YouTube uh, sermon that you can maybe dig into if you want to go even deeper. Okay. So one of the challenges of marriage when we talk about marriage is, um, and what people get so passionate about, is because we have different understandings of what marriage is. We we come to the conversation of marriage from different vantage points and ideas and thoughts. And one of the things that I think is really, really important to do is to understand and to ask the question, what is marriage? And then even deeper than that, ask the question, who are we as humans? Like what's the foundation of humanity and creation We are a Christ centered church. You know, we follow Jesus. And um, we want to be honest about what Jesus talked about and what he pointed us to. And there's a statement from Jesus when asked about divorce. Jesus made this statement Um, He said, This is not what God had originally intended. Now I want you to pause right there with me for a second. What God had originally intended. So one of the things that Jesus is doing here is he's pointing us back to what the original intent of marriage is. Jesus does this in brilliant ways. He, he all, many times points us back to Genesis chapter one and two, the very beginning to get a foundation for who we are as humans and what life is about, what God wants us to experience, and then we find the, the picture of marriage there. So what did God originally intend for humanity? Now this is incredible, if you think about it. So stay with me, we're gonna do a little deep dive. Are you with me? Over here, you're good? What about over here, you with me still? Yes. Okay, I got some of you. The rest of you, Try to get with me as as we go. So you go back to the, the original, the beginning. So God created the heavens and the earth. So he goes through creation, but then there is one piece of creation that is different than the rest. So he creates the known world, the heavens and the earth, and he creates all the animals, and he creates animals with the, power within them to to procreate to to make more of themselves but then he creates humanity and the difference in humanity than the rest of everything else that he's created is humanity is created yes in the image of god he creates humanity Now, I I don't know if you know this. We're all broken, we're all scarred, but we are created, you are created in the image of God. You, at just a really basic level, are created to reflect the image of God. You are what they call in theology, you are an image bearer of God. It's really interesting in the Ten Commandments, one of the things that God says is, don't make any um, idols that represent me. And you might be asked the question, well, what's wrong with like a little statue that maybe would make me think of God? And he said, well, I've already created images that are to reflect me. That's you. Isn't that cool? Look at, look at the person next to you, even if you don't know him. Oh, not that person, the other side. Created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God. Now, stay with me. You're created in the image of God. God creates one humanity. And then he does something amazing. He says it's not good for this humanity to live by itself. So I'm going to take from that one and make it two. And we have names for them in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. They are... Adam and Eve. So you have one humanity who then becomes two, Adam and Eve. They are created in the image of God. Now, stay with me. This is where it gets really interesting. Some of you will really like this. As image bearers of God, when the the one that has become two, when it becomes one again, what happens? More. So let's go back to ninth grade. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're asking right now, this seems really inappropriate for Sunday morning. This is incredible. Now, God has created us in his image and when the two become one, there is something beautiful that happens, we create more. And the original intent, what what is different about humanity than all other other creatures. So other creatures do this all the time. All the other animals do this. Um, I heard a pastor that I really respect. He said, humans could just be like rabbits if we wanted. And I was like, whoa, that's a lot. (laughs) Some of you get that later, and you'll be like, whoa, now I get it. Um, But what God does as his image bearers is he gives us the responsibility to when we enter back into union to become one, to enter into that union as a similar picture of God's love for us, which is covenantal for all of life, which is faithful regardless of the ways we break our side of the covenant. Does that make sense? Like God is all in. And so when you look at, and I realize that when I talk about this, as I mentioned to you, that there will be some of you who disagree and who see it differently and see the Bible as an ancient document that has nothing to do with us today in this world, but from a Judeo-Christian view, the original intent of what marriage was to be was this unbelievable picture of God having created humanity in his image. He makes two out of one, male and female. And when the male and female come back together, that it isn't just to be like animals, but it is to be in a covenantal relationship, companionship, that creates more. And each of the pieces, when they come back into one, in, in a um, selfless way, reflect the love that God has for all of us. Isn't that interesting? So deep. I mean, there's so many different places I could go, and I don't have time to go much further in, into that. But the original, so when Jesus says, go back to that last slide, um, uh, when he says what God had originally intended, I think that's where Jesus wanted them to to go, in their minds. That's what he wanted them to think about, is to step back and go, who are we as humans, and what was God's original intent? Now, as humans, we mess that up. Can I get an amen? Even in the Old Testament, you go look at the Old Testament, and there's polygamy there, and there's all kinds of things where men take advantage of women, and it's almost as though women are objects. And Jesus like raises the level of and, and respect for women. And Jesus does something even, and I'll give you the somewhere where you can learn more about this. He even raises the concept of, of singleness and, and how singleness can be such a beautiful picture of God's image as well. And in our culture, we've elevated marriage at such a high level that we've missed the beauty of and so many times in a church setting or in the Christian setting, singles feel left out when the reality is those who are single bear the image of God in such a beautiful way that married people don't. And so there's beauty in the singleness as well. So um, the, back to the original intent, like this is, now, if you don't have a, a Judeo-Christian viewpoint, then we may be starting from different places when we talk about marriage and different perspectives, totally. And it's why you see people in our culture so passionate and don't understand why others can't see their view is because we're just starting on different, in different books, potentially, different pages. Um, if you have a, a, a Darwinian or humanist type view of the world, so it's a worldview, um, if you have this view, then the idea is to simply survive and experience happiness in the world. That, that's the goal, is to just survive and to be happy. Um, it's actually built into our understanding in, in the United States. Um, everyone has the opportunity for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And this there's a Darwinian view, a, a humanist view of, as a human, what I'm to do is to Simply survive, thrive, and experience as much happiness as I can. And in that view, in that understanding, in that worldview, um, marriage really doesn't make a lot of sense. Because marriage feels like a constraint. What God originally intended to be a beautiful picture of covenant, faithful love, um, to others might look like that doesn't even make any sense. Because it keeps me from thriving and being happy. Does that, does that make sense at some level? It's why sometimes there's some intense debate about that. So covenantal love. Now, um, we could, I could do a whole series on just that. Understanding the two becoming one, becoming men, many, and how this is, is what God originally intended, and then how that plays out in life. Now we know the two becoming one, I already mentioned this, can be extremely difficult and challenging. Come on. If you've been married more than three days, you know that's true. And so what are some like goals that, that, that can, can move us towards what God's original intent is? And so I want to give you just a few thoughts. That um, marriage, one of the goals of marriage is to understand it and also practice it as a covenant, not a contract. And a lot of times in, um, in premarital counseling or counseling, this comes up. And let me just say, like, we all understand contracts. You uh, have been conditioned to understand what a contract is. A contract, in a contract, you are uh, one of the parties You are to protect yourself as much as you can. So if the other person doesn't fulfill their end of the bargain, you have a way out, right? That's what a contract is. But in God's original intent, so again, I'm talking about original, the the idea, the concept was a covenant, which means you are all in regardless of what happens on the other side. Now that sounds crazy to us. Just be honest, that sounds crazy. How about you guys be honest? That sounds crazy, does it not? Like really? like I am all in even though like what if this, what if this, what if this? Well, um, Jesus talks about that at, at, at one point, but the idea and the foundation of marriage is a covenant, life long, not a contract that you can get out of. and I think we at some level have moved marriage in our understanding, and we're all guilty of this, to that it's more contractual, and so if there's a point at which I fall out of love, then that's my out. And we have all kinds of reasons why we might say that. Um, And I know there's a lot that goes into, I'm not like making light of divorce, I'm really not. I understand the pain of it. I understand the the pain of betrayal and all those different pieces when we go back to the original intent it was covenant so you're with me right now built on that so the next goal built on the idea that this is a covenant all in lifelong nothing to walk away from because i'm like i'm committed the second one is a companionship not simply romanticized gratification and I, um, I wrote this phrase down, uh, there's a book that Eugene Peterson wrote years ago called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, and I, for some reason I thought of that phrase, but in the context of marriage I thought, marriage is a, is a long walk in the same direction. Like we're, we're on a lifelong walk together in the same direction. And um, we might have to walk around a cactus, we might step on a burr, <laughs> We, we might have some issues along the way, but it's a long walk in the same direction with someone else. And here's what I believe to be true about our current culture. And listen, I was raised in it, and it's important for us to be honest about it. We were raised and are continuing to be raised in a culture that magnifies, and, and just to be completely transparent, sexual gratification that's what we're raised in and we're raised to believe that that gratification is the pinnacle of relationships and it's not as good as that can be it is not the pinnacle of relationships nor is it what god wanted us to experience as the pinnacle of relationships but you cannot look at the world around us and not begin to see how we have elevated that part of marriage to be so very important and be the thing that everyone is moving towards and wants to move towards. And the idea that I can get that gratification and I don't even know why marriage is important, like all that, we're wrapped up into that. And the, the last hundred years, the, the television, Um, I'm going to sound like an old man just for a second. Uh, The television, the cell phones, social media is painting a picture and we buy into it. I buy into it that the most important part of marriage is that my needs are gratified, like that there is gratification because it's a need that I have. So I should get what I need to have. And that is what marriage is, is where my needs are met. And the reality of what God created was more for us to experience the incredible joy and beauty of lifelong companionship. And I'll tell you this, um, there can be some really good stuff on that side of things in the right context, but nothing can compare And you know this to be true. Like you might not want to admit it, but you know it to be true that there is something about deep friendship and companionship with a lifelong person that does not go away that you can experience when you are committed to one another. That companionship. That's what God saw. I believe that's what he saw in marriage was a covenant that led to a companionship. And um, and then... The third uh, marriage goal that I would say is so important is sacrificial, not self-serving. Now, um, if Robin were standing here, she probably uh, wouldn't say this in the same way, but (laughs) that's dangerous. (laughs) Some of our most difficult moments in marriage are built around my selfishness, me, Matt. And some of the most challenging, passionate conversations we've had, you can read in that, fights. (laughs) Are because I'm a selfish human being. And I want what I want And I have needs, and if she's not meeting them, I need to tell you about that. Let me tell you what you're not doing for me. Does this sound familiar to anyone else? Am I alone in this counseling session? (laughs) Like selfishness. And I get it. Those needs are real. Those desires are real. But God's original intent was what he did when he sent Jesus Christ to lay down his life so that we all might find life. And one of the best marriage goals that we can put up is the idea of how can I sacrifice and lay down my life so that Robin can find life? And what's interesting about that is when both of you have that as a marriage goal, you both begin to experience a joy and a fulfillment in life that you cannot experience when one or the other is is selfish. Now, I I know when I talk about these things, it might even, like, you might be a married couple in the room right now, and you might have fought all the way to church, and you're like, I told you, like, (laughs) because that's the reality of life is we have these struggles on, on, regular basis, on a regular basis. But it's why it's so important to be on the same page and have some goals that hold us together. Tim Keller says this. I, 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 this is from the book. So if you want just a preview of the book, you don't even have to buy the book. Here it is, right here. In any relationship, there will be frightening spells in which your feelings of love dry up. I don't feel like I'm in love anymore. And when that happens, you must remember that the essence of marriage is that it is a covenant, a commitment, a promise of future love. I love that idea of a future love. Like I've, I've committed to a future love with you. So what do you do? That's the question, right? What do you do when you're all out of love? I don't remember the rest of the song, but all of a sudden it just hit my mind. Um, So what do you do? What do you do when you don't feel like you're in love? Well, Tim offers this suggestion. You do the acts of love despite your lack of feeling. You may not feel tender, sympathetic, and eager to please, but in your actions, you must be tender, understanding, forgiving, and helpful. And if you do that, as time goes on, you will not only get through the dry spells, but they will become less frequent and deep, and you'll be more constant in your feelings. In other words, sometimes you have to act yourself back into feeling. You do what you've committed to, and when you constantly do what you've committed to, the covenant, to sacrifice for the good of the other, that when you constantly do that, what Tim has seen and experienced over the course of his life and as a pastor was that when you do that, you find that you don't have as frequent those feelings or as deep those feelings of being out of love. So the scripture, and you're going to walk through this in your, I'm going to do this quickly, but you're going to do this in your journal this week. So if you don't have a journal, pick one up because I want you to tackle this this week. Um, In Philippians chapter 2, now let me be really clear. Paul was not writing to uh, married couples right here. He was writing to the church. So he's writing to all of us. So all of us can take something here. Um, But I want those of you who are married to see this in the context of marriage because I think it's just a beautiful practice to move us towards that covenantal um, companionship that is sacrificial. So he begins with this. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Now what's so interesting about this phrase and why I picked this little piece to walk through this week, um, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Look at what Jesus says when he's in the conversation about divorce with the Pharisees. Um, Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession. A concession to what? Your hard hearts. There's something about a heart that has been hardened toward another person. And when they have this conversation about divorce, Jesus points to this idea of um, how those hard hearts lead us in different paths that may not match with what God originally intended. And so, then back to Philippians, um, Jesus is, is at, or, uh, Paul is writing, are your hearts tender and compassionate? So it begins in the heart. There's some heart pieces here that you have to have that tender and compassionate heart. Then make me truly happy by agree wholeheartedly with each other, love one another, and work together with one mind and one purpose. Get on the same page. This is a covenant, not a contract, this is about long term companionship, not just about my sexual needs being met and, and this is something that i 'm going to sacrifice for i 'm not just going to look to myself and my own needs. so like get on the same page, work together, and then he goes on um, don 't be selfish. Crazy how that comes out here don 't try to impress others. be humble, thinking of someone else is better than yourself don't look out I mean this is so good for marriage. Come on, write this down. This is so good. For marriage, don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus has. And then he goes into this long, beautiful picture about how Christ, even though he had this incredible status, laid that down for the good of us, our world, and that's how we should live for one another, especially in the marriage covenant. So he goes through all of that. Tim Keller, back to to Tim Keller for just a second. Um, He says, our culture says that feelings of love are the basis for actions of love. That might be true at some point, that there's some feelings of love, and so that becomes a basis for the actions of love. Um, But it is truer to say that actions of love can lead consistently to feelings of love. So he, he just turns that around and offers the suggestion that if you're feeling all out of love, that you should actually do the acts of love, be tender and compassionate and humble and forgiving. Like do those things consistently and you might find that the feelings begin to follow. The feelings begin to follow what we practice. Um, just some, some practical goals. So some things to say this week maybe uh, in, in a marriage. Number one, This may seem really silly, but Robin and I have been doing this for years now. When we get into tense moments to remind each other, hey, 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 we're on the same team. We're on the same team. We may disagree with how to raise kids or how to spend money or what to do with our free time, but we're on the same, like we're on the same team. we we ultimately want the same thing, we might not agree how to get there. So number one, we're on the same team. Number two, this is from an old TV show, um, some counseling that happened on this old TV show. I see you, like I'm watching, I see you, I hear you, and I am here for you. Those things, really, really important. I see you, I hear you, I'm I'm here for you, Uh, I'm with you. I'm here for you, and I will love you. That's the sacrificial part. I'm here for you, like I am in this for you, and I'll love you. Um, I mentioned that maybe near the end I'd give you, if you want to deep dive, so I've touched on what both John Mark Comer talks about, what Tim Keller talks about, but Tim Mackey is one of my, he's a guy that I look up to, a scholar, the one who started the Bible Project. He has a sermon that's floating out there um, from years ago that takes this, and, and he does 50 minutes or 60 minutes on this whole thing. And so if you want to hear that, if you want to dig into that, you can email me and I'll send you a direct link, matt, at McDowell.church, or you can search for Tim Mackey, this is in YouTube, Tim Mackey, um, Jesus, Marriage, and Sex. That sounds really weird, but I think that's it and you'll find it. But you can just email me, matt at Church, and I'll send you a link. Okay. So, God is the God of covenantal love. He's with you for life, which means there's nothing that you can do that would cause God to turn his back and walk away from you. God will not do that. There are moments when we talk about sensitive subjects where we feel um, we've missed the mark or we're ashamed because we're not good at that or, man, I've made a mess of this or I don't know what to do with that. Um, And this might be one of those moments where you feel kind of the weight of some things. And I want you to know that um, God is not a God of shame. He's actually the God of forgiveness.